You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Understanding the deep love of God. I don't think it's understandable. Okay, there's where I'm going to go right there. So I don't think it's comprehensible. I don't think it's digestible. I don't think I can put it on a bumper sticker. I don't think I can tell you what I'm feeling. I don't think I can grab a hold of it. I was a little bit nervous. So Pastor John asked me to preach in through First John. I love John. And when I was here, when he was on vacation, kind of went to a deep dive on John and who he is and how he wrote and what he did. Uh, but I have one of these incredibly large angst in my life, and that is that I'm not going to be able to communicate the width and breadth and height and depth and power of God's love. And you know why? Because after 38 years of ministry, I have failed. I have absolutely been totally, completely inadequate at trying to communicate, at trying to get a sense of empowerment and the change that it gives. I've read books. So I want to just start with a disclaimer. I'm not going to be able to succeed at what I'm trying to do. I am not going to be able to communicate to you this one phrase. I'm thinking, oh, no. not this. So I'm going through it. There's a phrase that occurs in, this, in the scriptures, God is love. I was so afraid I was going to get that. Oh, no. Pastor John is dividing up the scriptures and getting us through, and I get my assigned text, and I go, oh, please, no, no, no. And I couldn't remember quickly. I quickly look it up, and I went, no! <laughs> it is in chapter 4. It's only spoken twice in the Bible, this particular phrase. And both within a few verses of one another, 1 John 4, God is love. And in classic Johannine fashion, it's simple. I mean, it's simple. In classic Johannine fashion, it's profound. It is as profound as it is simple. It is simple, it's profundity. I don't think that's a word. So that being said, there it is. So what I'm going to try to do today is communicate as best I can in Scripture. We're going to take a, a large dose of Scripture and see what, how God, what God says, what he does, how he does it. We're going to take a look at some song. Because I want to, because song needs to try to capture it as well. And we'll play just a few minutes of a song that I think gets closer to giving us that sense. We're going to take a look at a little video clip that I think identifies the nature of this love that I think God has for you and for me, and that I feel so inadequate in communicating this morning. And I want to kind of go from there and continue to see the impact it's had on people's lives. Because even though I can't, I can't hold it for you, I can't hold it up for you, I can't describe it eloquently, I can point you to people who have experienced it and who will never, ever, ever, ever be the same because of it. You ever sit down at a, imagine yourself sitting down at a, at a sort of a incredible banquet feast and you're surrounded by food at this big table. That's what I feel like this is like. It's like, you know what? 
I know I'm not going to be able to eat it all, but I can't even tell you what I'm going to eat. I hope that you get just a morsel, just a taste. Because that's all, that's all it will take to change you and change me forever. Just, just reach out. Let a little piece of that flow into your system. You ready to go through my inadequacies? Let's do it. Father God, we pray for your spirit to bless. John brings to us this phrase, God is love. Give us a sense, give us some power, give us opportunity to experience exactly how that might affect our life today and leave from here where we came home in Jesus' name. God is love. So here's where it comes from. Here's the text. Beloved. And again, I'll make some comments as we go along just to provide a larger context. But beloved is John's very children. It's, like, you know, it's not just like, hey, you. you know, he's not from Brooklyn. It's like, it's endearing. It's tender. Let us love one another. There it is again. For love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because, oh, there it is. God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to, the propiti- to be the propitiation of our sins. There it is again, beloved, loved ones. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. This, if I were to preach on the whole thing, would keep us here till Tuesday. But wait, there's more. (laughs) No infomercial intended. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testify what the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he is God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us. Here it is again. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because he is also, because he, because he so also are we in the world. That didn't work right. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I almost went with that text. There's a little sliver about that. Maybe we'll jump off an end. No. Backed off to that enigma of my entire ministry, and after 38 years, I'm going to give 39th try. <laughs> Wait. There's more. For fear to do with punishment, whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he knows not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. This commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. John always does that. Takes this incredible love and says, it links that it all hooks together, like we are all connected together. All right, so there it is. 
Once again, I can't preach the entire text, so I said, let's do it. Let's go for God is love. So a theological look at that first. One I want to say, what we need to do is avoid culturally defined love. Part of the problem is that we in our culture and our, in our conversations every day use the word love so ill-judiciously that it's hard to raise it up and steal it from the culture and the romantic movies and, and you know, my love of Aurelio's pizza and, you know, it's just everything kind of blends together and so we have to just vacuum what we're looking at suck it out of all that romance and all that I did. None of that's bad. None of that's bad. Romantic love and love of your favorite dish and love of a great Zinfandel. That's all good love. Love of a good friend. Nothing wrong with them. They just fall way short. God, let's see, so try to substitute it. God is Zinfandel. See what I mean? It doesn't work. <laughs> so we got to pull ourselves away from that and get into the theology of it. So what is the theology of God is love? So that's just a quick search. I searched a couple of resources, and it's supernatural, immutable. It carries with it justice, holiness, transcendence, pure and omniscience. Supernatural in origin, cannot be generated by humans. So let's start with that. Going that is, if you're looking for it inside yourself, which is where you'll find a lot of places that will encourage spirituality, look deeply within yourself. You'll find it ain't there. <laughs> it's not there. It's got to be given to us. It's got to come from someplace. It's immutable. I love the word immutable. So I look it up to make sure I understood what it meant. <laughs> Unchanging or unable to be changed. So you know with friendships, those, those loves and relationships and marriages and things, things can be changed. Love of foods, they can be changed. They are changed all the time. If all of a sudden I became belligerent and started putting down your pastor and doing that, our relationship would shift. <laughs> Things would change between what you name call God, no matter what you think about him, whether you think about him at all, is irrelevant, irrelevant to God. He's going to continue to love you. Contains justice. Many people think that to be loved is just to be soft. Oh, baby, <laughs> not so much. I'm to venture and be with some of my grandchildren, and I promise you, that my love for them and is not short of the discipline that goes along with living, right? We know that. Holiness, otherness, transcendence, it's beyond me, it's beyond thoughts, beyond words. It's pure, it's omniscient, it's all-knowing. These are great, but that's a theology, and we could do a deep dive. I could give you the context and the scripture references, but I just wanted to a, suck it out of the culture. Say, no, that's not what we're talking about. B, give you the foundation and the understanding of the supernatural origin. But I still think we're just scratching the surface. And if we stopped right here and I did a deep dive into each of these words, I think I would fall into the same trap that I fell into for 38 years of trying to define and describe the love of God. 
I meant to mention earlier, one of the things that's always interested me is St. Paul in 1 Corinthians, when he talks about being caught up into the third heaven, I saw things that get that gets translated unspeakable. It's aphasic. So I did a deep dive into that word, and I thought, no, that's what I'm talking about. It's unspeakable holiness. It's so holy that you lose words. I I mentioned last time I was preaching, I'm reading through, through the uh, book called Imagine Heaven. And it's, it sort of takes a look at the scriptural references of heaven and death and dying, as well as the actual near-death experiences of some people. And one of the common denominators is people come back unable to tell you what they experienced. Well, there was a bit of that, there was a little of this, it was bright, it was light. It was, I felt loved. But here's the key, they didn't want to come back. Hmm. They wanted more of it. They can't tell you what it was, what it felt like, what it was good like, because what is our eternal heavenly experience, what C.S. Lewis was called to live in love. You know, to get it? To, this is, oh, this is love. <laughs> and I live with the joy and the satisfaction knowing that after 30 Nine years of inadequate preaching, you will enter eternity and be welcomed by Jesus Christ and the family of God and go, oh, <laughs> this is it. Why didn't he just say so? <laughs> because it doesn't translate. I can't get to it because I'm aphasic. It's that overwhelming. And when you can get me to be wordless, it is a great accomplishment, I promise you. The book of John ends where he says, should all the things be written that were written of him, I believe even the earth itself could not contain it. At first, when I read that years ago, I thought, well, that, that's just John's sort of hyperbole and explanation. Then years later, I Googled, what are the chances the earth was formed by chance? It's an interesting Google. What are the chances the Earth was formed by chance? Two Oxford professors, not LCMS pastors, <laughs> two Oxford professors in my Google search said the chance of the, Earth being, the universe being formed by chance is a number so big, ready for it? It's more particles than exist in the world. I'm going out loud. I'm talking to my computer screen. The earth itself cannot contain it. When we start getting into the whole understanding of that, nature and power of love. As a matter of fact, the universe, you know how big the universe is? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> the universe can't contain it. The universe is just something that he just said, oh, let's see. Let's have some light. Boom. People ask me, are you a six-day creationist? Do you believe God created the world in six days? Like, oh, no. I can't believe it took him that long. <laughs> right? I mean, give me a break. And at the end of the day, right, uh, the whole thing about the Sabbath always interested me, right? So uh, let, there be, let there be sun, moon, and stars. Done. <laughs> From what was he resting? You know, my point. It's all about our resting. And I'm getting off track. See, this is the nature of love of God. But 
This next example is going to take us on a journey that I think is going to get us a little bit more focused. It's going to help us understand the nature of love that God had in and for us. When her home wasn't enough to protect her two children, Stephanie Decker protected them with her body. I heard the roar and I heard it behind me. And I knew it was coming. They needed me. You know, they, they, they had to have me. So I had to figure out what to do. Her home was being sucked into the monster tornado as it wiped out huge sections of Henryville, Indiana. In her first interview, Decker tells ABC News, as the storm approached, she dashed into the basement with Dominic, eight, and little Reese, just five years old. I put those children in, it was, it was a comforter, and I tied the comforter. And my daughter's like, Mom, I don't like this. I said, I know, honey. Then came the cascade of debris hmm. and immediate agony. I was yelling. I have a punctured lung and seven broken ribs. So yelling was really hard to do. Then she looked down, her legs both crushed. I knew I was cut, but I realized that either I'm barely attached or it's completely severed. I knew if I didn't get help soon, I was gonna bleed out. Then this hero mother watched as a new hero emerged. Her son, Dominic, raced for help. Now you see those, the extent of those injuries, George, and it's incredible to think that both of those kids came out without a scratch. Now Stephanie is still in critical but stable condition. She's due to undergo surgery on both her legs later this week. You freeze that right there? Thank you. Now we're getting focused. Did she love her children? Oh my goodness, what a stupid question I ask you. Will her children be able to know her love for the rest of their lives? Oh, what stupid questions I'm asking. Here's another one. Do you think if she knew what was going to happen, she'd do it again. You moms are going, well, there you go. It was just as stupid as the other questions. <laughs> of course she'd do it again. Will her, her children ever be able to doubt her love? If they do come across periods of doubt, all they need to do is look down. One mangled, one missing leg. Did you catch that in there? Senator Cummings, she took them downstairs, did all the right things, wrapped them up in a quilt, tied them up in a quilt to protect them. And one of the kids, I forget which one, said, we don't like this. I thought, oh, is that not a, a description of humanity? God leading us in certain directions, giving us certain tasks, calling us to certain places, protecting us. But we don't like this. We don't want to do this. We want to be free. I want to go play out in the storm. I mean, metaphorically, I didn't, we say those kind of things to God all the time. He's trying to give us boundaries and places to belong that sometimes don't feel good. Oh, no. God would ask us to do something that doesn't feel good? Oh, <laughs> well, now we're getting closer to love. Nothing wrong with feeling good. It just falls short of the power of love. And it always leads to action. That's what John was telling us earlier. Not your pastor. He didn't, 
the writer of the letter, that it always has fruits and benefits. Because what you see is that that love experience, so they were just protected. The kid went and found help. He was moved to action, to activity. He just couldn't stand there and had to help him because I wouldn't know the rest of the story. I don't know. I haven't been able to follow up on it. But my point is that it, that kind of love often feels objectionable at the first time, is sacrificial in nature, and moves to activity. Now we're getting closer. Does it feel good? Probably not. It's a secret. Many times we come looking for feel-good theology. And the only, way to, the only way out is through. All right, so let's dive a little deeper with that sort of working metaphor. God's love is expressed in Jesus. What does he say about that? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. It was the plan all along. You want to talk about God is love? They made a plan for ransom. And what we would learn in other places in Scripture is that that plan was put in place before the foundation of the world. Now, I get really lost on this because before the foundation of the world and the universe, there was no time, no point of reference. So Paul would have to tell us before the foundation of the world. So God knew that I was going to fall and falter and sin and walk away from him and still made the plan to make creation, and still executed the plan to execute his son. He withdrew from him about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The Garden of Gethsemane. If the sermon weren't the length it is, I would have used a little clip in there from... Uh, the uh, Passion of the Christ, which I think they do a great job on Gethsemane. The struggle. The love of God, the love of Jesus Christ was brutal. Agonizing. Sweaty. Bowing him. Breaking him. Do you think it felt good? But God chose his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The mom didn't ask her kids for approval. Have you been a good, have you been a good boy today? If you have, then I'll wrap you up and protect you in this blanket. <laughs> Did you eat your vegetables, young lady? Okay, then you can come downstairs too, and I'll cover myself with you. See how stupid that is? Point of that? It's not works-based. None of this has to do with it. None of it has to do with our own righteousness. None of it has to do with us, me. While I was still wandering away, not eating my vegetables and whatever nature that is, God sent his son to die for him, for me. So much more to say. The lifestyle sector, it leads to a lifestyle. The kid got up and went and helped his mom and obviously brought her 
the help she needed, the lifestyle sacrificial love. What does the Bible say about that? Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love. Now we're getting a little sense of that. Walk in love. It's power. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. True or false? Don't answer that. It's a rhetorical question. True or false? God wants you to be a better person. Press the red button. Ah! God does not want you to be a better person. God wants you to be a new person. He wants to put to death the old person. Because it'll kill you. God wants you brand new. Indeed, I count everything as, as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. If you looked on St. Paul's office wall, he had a wall full of diplomas. Man, he was Pharisee par excellence. He got the Pharisee of the Year Award, the rumor says. <laughs> By the way, that's not in the Bible. I just made that up. So Paul looked at his wall of successes and degrees and effort and went, Ripping them all down. None of that mattered. It's rubbish. You know what matters? The Christ. The forgiveness that he found and showed to me. You want those diplomas? You want that Phariseeism? You want all those achievements? It's all rubbish. Throw them away. Trash it. See, the, by comparison... This love is that empowering. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Back to the Gethsemane, the crucifixion, of course, the center of the universe is cru that crucifixion when the creator was killed. Go figure. We ought to lay down our lives for one another. Now, I would like to think by the way, a shout out to my beloved Mary Louise, who's on a trip helping a friend of hers move, moving from Amarillo. So, love, if you're able to pick this up in the car, I did get a haircut. So, <laughs> I would like to think that, that I would lay down my life for Mary Louise. I would like to think that if somebody challenged her or there was some reason or need for me to step in front of the bullet that I would do that. Many of us are old enough to remember uh, the Reagan assassination and the way it was caught on film. And one of the interesting pieces of that is while, while everybody was ducking, the Secret Service officer was doing what? Throwing himself in front of the bullet, following his training, and took one someplace in the chest, I think, I remember. I'd like to think I could do that for Mary Louise or my kids or my grandkids. I've never been tested, so I'm not absolutely certain, but I, I, I like to think I could do that. I saw a guy at Sam's the other day who was panhandling for money. This scripture tells me, are you ready to die for him? Hmm. No. Can I say that here? <laughs> Are we okay? 
No. I am not ready to die for a panhandler. I'm not ready to die for a cheat or a liar. Huh. This is powerful love. It's amazing love. While we were still yet panhandlers, he sent his precious son agonizing in the garden. Now we're getting to love. Now we're getting there. Paul's summation of love is poetic, and you many of you have heard it at weddings where it really doesn't fit as well. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Forgive all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Speak it, Paul. Preach it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Always protects. Always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. I want to show of hands for everybody who can keep that. Love never fails. Oh, boy. But where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Now, these two things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these, say it with me, is love. Hmm. Now we're getting someplace. One of my favorite authors, Calvin Miller, A Symphony in Sand. It's one of my favorite poems. It's really grabbed me. Look, saint, I'm a god made warm by love. I believe you, cried the saint. May I see the scars you spent in loving me. I have no scars. Then you're no god, nor do you love. I've always been amazed, right? Especially when I was in eighth grade. I said, why did Jesus rise from the dead with the scars? Come on. <laughs> he could have cleaned those up, filled those in. Then Mary Louise and I got married. Not in eighth grade. Long <laughs> many, many years after that. And we lived through difficulties, conflict, trials, and we gave each other scars, emotional scars. There was nothing physical. And then we forgave each other. And those scars became evidence of how our love worked through them over the years. The scars we spent in loving each other. The scars that were pain between us were transformed through Christ into evidence of love. <laughs> if you want a litmus test for love, see if there are scars attached to it someplace. If there ain't, then it ain't. Trust me. Reflecting this is sort of an interesting piece I found about, entitled, Every Scar Has a Story. 
Every scar is a story. What will mine tell? What will come of this when I'm better, when I'm well? I want my scar to tell how I've overcome and how I made it through of where I've come from. I want my scar to whisper about the pain I faced, about the very hard time, about the marathon I raced. But mostly, I want my scar to speak of something greater. I want it to shout about my living creator. Let my scar be evidence that there is a loving Lord who fought my scary, scary battles and on whose wings I soared. Let my scar proclaim that all things work for good, that by myself I couldn't, but with my God I could. Let them take a look. Let them peek and see. My scar shows God is great. It points to him, not me. By Christina M. DiCarlo, before her second brain surgery. Yeah. God is love. You know how I know? Because of the scars that Thomas plunged his hand into. They were done for me. You know how I know? It's changed my life. Shaped my life. You know how I know? I just can't find the words to tell you. But I know. I know. I know. Kipona aloha. Even when you don't understand the deep love of God. In Jesus' name, amen.